You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On College Football, the weekly podcast that highlights the biggest stories in college football. Each day, you'll have a new host sharing the latest insights, giving their hottest takes, and just all around getting you hyped up for this 2020 season. Each Monday, you'll have me, Candace Cooper, host of Locked On Tar Heels, leading this talented team. Do yourself a favor, make sure you download and subscribe to Locked On College Football from anywhere you listen to podcasts. What another wild week of college football, right? Has anyone been trying to keep up? How can you not just blink in another conference is in contention for having, you know, being in the top 25 because their teams are finally deciding they're going to play and their athletic directors and administration is deciding, yes, I think we can pull off a 2020 season. Let's do it. Eight games in eight weeks, been 10. Why not? You know, no room for error, but hell, we can do it. We can get it done. The Big Ten definitely decided it would take its talents to 2020. The Pac-12 has suddenly entered the chat. As we all know, Oregon, California, Washington, those states were orange a couple weeks ago, but now all of a sudden, think skies are clear and we're ready to ball. And you know, there are more conferences that just might come up pretty soon. So we have to just don't blink. You might miss it. If you're a college football fan, I know you're certainly holding on to your hats and you're checking those Twitter feeds daily. Here's what I have on tap for you today. Locked on Vols podcast host Josh Ward is going to talk to me about Tennessee football and their upcoming matchup against South Carolina and how he thinks they'll fare in the always tough SEC. More importantly, how he thinks SEC fans have responded to the SEC moving um, through with a season and never really having wavering like the Big Ten and Pac-12 have. Also coming on the show, we've got Locked on Hawkeyes podcast host Andrew Wade to talk Iowa and the climate of the team and how a shift in culture may help the program get into the college football playoff conversation. So let's get things rolling, shall we? We look at top 25 recap. Number one, Clemson trampled over the Citadel for 49-0. Number seven, Notre Dame rolled over USF 52-0. Number 11, Oklahoma State beat Tulsa 16-7. Number 13, Cincinnati beat Austin P 55-20. Number 14, UCF thwarts Georgia Tech 49-21. Number 17, hold it held on to beat number 18 Louisville in a great ACC matchup. I think Miami has found its quarterback in Derrick King. Number 19 Louisiana Raging Cajuns hold off Georgia State in a very close battle 34-31. Number 23 App State falls to Marshall 17-7. Finally number 25 Pittsburgh beat Syracuse 21 to 10. I know somewhere Ben Stevens is shedding a tear for his Syracuse Orange. Not sure why he gave them as much confidence as he did, but I understand it. When you're loyal, you're loyal. (laughs) Josh Ward is on tap to talk to us about Tennessee football. Got Andrew Wade on here. It's going to be a great day for sports conversations. I just, I'm actually shocked we didn't see more upsets this week. And I think it's because teams have finally found their group. More importantly, they found their strength. And, you know, maintaining strength in this season is a major key for getting through 2020. Have y'all tried Built Bar? Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. With 18 amazing flavors that are 100% covered in chocolate, Built Bar is even more delicious. 
If you're working on your fitness and you are a health conscious person like me, you'll enjoy Built Bar because it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your next order. We have Josh Ward, host of Locked On Vols podcast. He is going to talk to me about the Tennessee Vols getting ready for their season to start this weekend against South Carolina. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to uh, talk to you. Good to have an SEC football season here to talk about. Right? (laughs) How excited are you for the season to resume? There's been so much controversy in this 2020 season, but now we're here and ready to go. Yeah, I guess controversy can be good for business, right? We talk about it and it creates opinions. Uh, I'm just kind of gotten tired of it and uh, it has it has been an, a long off season literally because we usually don't have to wait this long so I'm glad that we have games to break down and we can actually talk about football on the field we can see them because everything with Tennessee and and most everybody has been closed so Saturday when Tennessee plays at South Carolina I will be laying my eyes on the Vols for the first time just like everybody else Absolutely. Now, Coach Pruitt has said there's been some struggles with some guys being available for practice, not being available for for practice, which hinders what the team needs to improve, you know, and fine tune things as they get ready for the season. What do you think would be the top things Tennessee needs to fight for a chance to be kind of that in that college football playoff conversation? The first thing to me would be what Tennessee looks like up front, as a lot of the offseason was about the improvement from a personnel standpoint with the offensive line and the development of all the defensive linemen who picked up a lot of experience last year. And Tennessee plays in the SEC. If, if you're going to be good, I mean, this is anywhere in football, but especially in this league, you need to be good up front of the lines of scrimmage. Now, Tennessee has the question of Cade May's status. He was cleared by the NCAA as a transfer from Georgia to Tennessee to play right away, but he is waiting on word from the SEC, and that could come at any time, so be on the lookout for that news. But Cade's a a potential all-SEC player, so that's a big deal. But Tennessee will be, I think, driven largely by what it's able to do up front, and then quarterback play is no doubt important. Jared Garantano is back as a fifth-year senior. He's played a lot. He was a starter last year, lost his job, came back, uh, regained the job, and helped Tennessee win a bunch of games last year. But consistency has been a concern. So what Tennessee has up front and what Tennessee has at quarterback, to me, would be the first two talking points. That and who was out there playing, because as you're talking about guys being in and out of practice, could affect who the coaches are comfortable with in week one. Absolutely. And, you know, it's been a while since Tennessee has been sitting at top 15 and been that Tennessee of old. What's the buzz around Knoxville for this year's group? I think fans are excited. It's year three with Jeremy Pruitt as the head coach. He's recruited pretty well. And now Tennessee fans are going to see more of his players, the the guys that he has recruited as last year's group that led the way. It was largely uh, built around players that, who had been signed and played for Butch Jones. So now you're talking about Garantano is the guy at, at quarterback and Trey Smith at guard. He's a, a former, uh, he's a, he was a signee under Butch Jones. But a lot of these guys I'm talking about, Cade Mays transferring in with Jeremy Pruitt, obviously, as the head coach. Henry Toa Toa is one of Tennessee's best players at middle linebacker. He's a second-year player. Those second-year guys, I think a lot of fans are excited to see what they do. Eric Gray at running back has big play ability. Jalen McCullough at safety. He could be a dynamic player on the defensive side. And then what newcomers emerge is a big storyline, especially at receiver. Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway led the way last year. Is there a freshman player who uh, could could make an impact immediately at receiver? They've got a lot of speed, a lot of talent, but you know, being a freshman in the SEC or anywhere in college football makes it a little bit more challenging. So 
there's a, there are just really, I think, an endless number of storylines with Tennessee's football team and the roster in this season. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the SEC and South Carolina is going to be the opening opponents and they were four and eight. But honestly, in the SEC, you never know. Right. You always have that rivalry feel. And where do you think and where do you see the Vols landing in the SEC East when it's all said and done? I do think Tennessee projects to be the third team in the division going in. Uh, Georgia and Florida, I think, will battle for the top spot. And Tennessee, that, that's another part of the storyline with Tennessee going into this year. Can the Vols make a jump to be more competitive with the elite teams of the conference? Last year, Tennessee was able to beat South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, those teams that fans year in, year out would expect the Vols to be able to beat. But against Georgia, against Florida, Alabama, it was not as competitive. It, it was for portions of those games but you have to play 60 minutes and for 60 minutes for four quarters Tennessee just wasn't on that level in the first half of the season Tennessee gets Georgia in week three and Alabama in week five and uh, you know that Kentucky game in the sandwich in, in the middle in week four is one Tennessee better be ready for because Kentucky along the line of scrimmage on offense I think could be really good so uh, I, I think Tennessee projects as the third team behind Georgia and Florida can it inch closer though can it can it can Tennessee put itself in a position where maybe it beats one of the higher level teams in the conference A&M and Auburn are on the schedule as well and then this time next year or at least at the start of next season are we talking about Tennessee finally entering championship contention at year four with a coach at Tennessee that's what I think a lot of the fans would expect absolutely now do you feel that coach Pruitt is still going to have that time or will people get frustrated because SEC fans are spoiled and they want to see goodness out early so does coach Pruitt kind of have a little bit of fire under his butt if they don't see production out of this year that is an excellent question if Tennessee let's say Tennessee goes five and five which is a common prediction uh, and beats the teams that it's supposed to but loses to the teams that are considered to be better than Tennessee but Tennessee still struggles to even be competitive we're talking about double digit deficits in a, in a number of those losses, then I think fans will start to apply pressure more quickly because I think frustration would set in. Uh, t time is always going to work against coaches if you're not winning at the highest level at programs that expect it. So by next year, I think fans are still going to have high expectations no matter what. But uh, if, if fans see progress and if you're recruiting well, which Tennessee is doing, then I think that I think fans will be more understanding, even if you're not coming out on top in the end. But uh, the, the clock is ticking. And, and by the way, Jeremy Pruitt has incredibly high expectations as well. Before being at Tennessee, he was at Alabama, Florida State, and Georgia. He knows what is expected, and he right now thinks Tennessee should go to a higher level. There's also the the unknown element this year. Yeah. Uh, and will, will fans be a little more understanding because 2020 is a different kind of year? Some will. Not all will, though, because this is the SEC and this is college football. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think I've said many a times, giving grace this season is what we need. But at the end of the day, people got to eat and we want to see our coaches perform and give us some wins. So I think that trying to make something out of nothing is what everyone is doing in this 2020 season. Just to add, you know, when this SEC schedule came out, immediately there was arguing and bickering about who got which spot. And uh, and the, the SEC did Alabama a favor and did Georgia a favor is what Tennessee fans were saying. So they, they were arguing about schedules. So wait until we actually get some results. That's when uh, the heat will really be turned up. Well, do you think that player availability is going to be a factor? Because, you know, you can have a guy, you can have a whole squad lineup playing ready to go against Alabama, and then you go out and play, and Tennessee might not have the guys available. 
Well, it could be an issue. Yeah. And that's why I wonder if, if Tennessee loses a game, but you know, we can play it both ways. What if Tennessee has a number of guys out week two against Missouri and, and all of a sudden Missouri comes in and pulls off an upset. I, you know, if you have a number of players that are out that could explain it, but would fans be understanding? I don't know. That's, uh, that's a storyline that nobody wants to be a part of the season, but it very much could be. What if you go in with a position group that's really thin uh, and that, again, that can work both ways, whether it affects you against a team that fans are hoping you'll jump up and beat and it doesn't happen because of that, or if you get upset. Um, that, that's why I would say, yeah, t- take this season uh, with a little bit of a, a grain of salt, I guess, but I don't think that's the way it works for college football fans. So my expectation is, no, they're going to they're gonna expect some wins and they're going to expect some really good results. One thing that could help, though, I mentioned earlier, recruiting. If, if recruits stick with Tennessee – and they're signing a big class, and this season goes at least okay, five and five or better, then uh, then largely I think Tennessee fans will be happy. No doubt. And then just last question, when you talk about the SEC in general, how have you felt in terms of them continuing with their schedule and you know, altering what, you know, what have you is not starting on time like we've normally seen, but still never kind of wavering this whole back and forth of postponement, then playing. How have you kind of think the SEC did in that regard? Well, selfishly, I've been happy because I want to see the games and my livelihood is tied to the SEC playing football. So I should point that out. But uh, overall, I think the SEC's done a good job. I think delaying the start has helped them get ready. Let's see how it plays out. We should almost expect that there could be some insulations or postponements just from what we've seen the last few weeks. But the main thing has been to get out there and play games and have a season. And that's why I would say let's appreciate the season taking place. I do hope that this leads to an expanded SEC schedule in the future. Seeing SEC versus SEC every week, I think I think is great. But in terms of uh, the summer, the buildup to this start of the season, I can't sit here and say that it was perfect along the way. It also was uh, was not exactly uh, a, a year that anybody expected. So overall, I think the SEC has put itself in a good position, and I'm glad they're going to be playing football this weekend. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I appreciate your time. Please remind folks of where they can listen to you every single day. Yeah, Locked on Vols is a daily podcast covering what's going on with Tennessee, almost all football right now, big basketball buildup. So any Tennessee fans interesting and uh, interested in hoops, they're just a couple of months away from starting up there. But Locked on Vols covering what's going on with Tennessee. No doubt. Josh, appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you down the line. Up now we have Andrew Wade from Locked on Hawkeyes. He's going to talk to me about the Hawkeyes, more importantly about the Big Ten and they're getting ready to roll with the season that we never thought would come. But Andrew, we're here. How excited are you? Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. It's uh, It hasn't really sunk in that we're actually going to get Big Ten football. I feel like I have been just trying to be as pessimistic as possible so that if there ever was football, I'd be really happy and that way I wasn't disappointed. So the fact that we actually have football – Uh, I am very excited about having Big Ten football back and especially the fact that I can watch um, the Iowa Hawkeyes on Saturday mornings again. No doubt. And speaking of some Hawkeyes, I saw or was watching the Broncos game and Noah Fonts was having a great – is this tight end university? I'm trying to figure it out if tight ends are kind of just rolling through Iowa. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. (laughs) To me, Iowa is without a doubt tight end university. I think you have Miami, um, you have Notre Dame, who could also sometimes stake a claim. Penn State does a pretty good job of producing tight ends. But when you look at what Iowa does uh, from a tight end perspective, right now they have TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, and Noah Fant. I think Noah Fant could be the next great tight end um, in the NFL. I think TJ Hawkinson is probably the, the the weakest of those three and that's pretty impressive if he's the weakest considering he was a top 10 pick last year and then obviously everyone knows about George Kittle but that's three starting tight ends um, and right now I mean Iowa has 
a couple tight ends in their in their room right now in their weight room that are are looking like they could potentially be some big time players in the future. So uh, to me, Iowa's definitely tight end. You, I think they do a fantastic job of coaching those guys up and and getting them ready for the NFL. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about Iowa, how are you feeling about the newly released schedule? I mean, if I'm a Hawkeye fan, I am pumped about this schedule. It looks perfect. For, I mean, not perfect, but um, we, we got kind of lucky. We don't have Ohio State which is fantastic. Um, they're even setting up our schedule pretty easy, you know, starting with Purdue, Northwestern, and Michigan State. Um, Iowa should start 3-0 and before you get into some of the tougher games. On the flip side, Nebraska got the shaft on this whole schedule, and they have arguably the toughest, like, three or four games you could possibly have um, in the Big Ten. It's, it's kind of ironic considering um, how – much Nebraska has kind of complained since being in the Big Ten, especially over the last couple of months with the, the pandemic and stuff. They've been very vocal about, about the lack of support. And then they get this schedule. And I'm not a Nebraska fan, but uh, I would feel bad for the, you know, I feel bad for the Nebraska fans out there uh, for that schedule that they got. No doubt. And just talking about the schedule, you know, there's eight games in eight weeks. How taxing do you think that's going to be for these players? And do you think that they're going to be properly prepared to go into a type of season like this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone could really be prepared going into a season like this. I, I think we're seeing it with the first couple of weeks of college football. Um, tackling is poor. The, the games are relatively sloppy. And in the Big Ten, I mean, some of these teams have been practicing. Some of them haven't. Uh, Wisconsin was on a hiatus uh, until this you know, schedule came out and the season you know, was back on. Iowa was also taking a week break, and they've only been able to do 12 hours of practices uh, from that point. So I think we're going to see some pretty sloppy football, uh, especially from the Big Ten, especially considering these teams haven't necessarily been gearing up for football so it'll be really interesting to see what that looks like come October 23rd and 24th. You know Iowa's had its own bit of controversy this offseason with the dismissal of head strength coach Chris Doyle and you know some black players were talking about there are too many racial disparities in the Iowa football program. How much of that responsibility is on coach Kurt Prince and how do you see the culture kind of shifting forward in a progressive way? Yeah I think you know first and foremost I Everything when I hear about Kirk Ferentz from other players, and I've um, you know interviewed a bunch of different Iowa players, uh, black, white, you know, all, all on the show, and they all rant and rave about Kirk Ferentz and what kind of a man he is, not just a coach, what kind of a man he is. So I think that is important to note. However, there is blame that falls on his shoulders. You are the head coach of this program, and I think some of it, you know, he might have willingly turned a blind eye, and that's not okay. I, I think some of it he truly just didn't realize. Um, how potentially oppressive it was to some of the players that were in the program. I think his idea was we're having this military type of program. Everyone looks the same. Everyone does everything the same. Everyone acts the same. Um, no one, you know, no one is bigger than the team. And I understand that to an extent, but I think what he wasn't realizing was how oppressive that actually was. And having James Daniels start this movement, I think was incredible. And I think what we're seeing from Kirk is he truly cares and he does want to change the program. And he's already made, um, you know, some decent changes so far. There's still a lot of work to go and it's only been, you know, three months. So uh, we'll see where we're at in a year and two years from now. But I do think he's making some big changes. I mean, the fact that he's allowing players on Twitter, um, I know it seems like a really, really small thing, but he didn't want people on Twitter because his words was he wanted to protect them. But again, 
he's trying to protect them, but he's also not letting them have a voice. And these are college athletes. They're not able to build a brand because they're not even able to be active on social media. People don't get to see these people, you know, tweet, talk. They don't really talk to the media. So uh, I think he's making some changes. He, he created a diversity, you know, council with uh, a couple of different players, um, past and present, that you know, make sure they're kind of talking about what is going on within the, the you know, the locker room and how can that be fixed going forward. So there's changes, and that they're making the the right changes again. Um, time will only tell, but I do think Kirk Ferentz is the right guy to continue to lead that change, even if he was also the guy who clearly let let things go on behind the scenes that were not okay or appropriate. A hundred percent. You know, it's hard because I'm sure as a human, he's probably great. He's probably fine. But there are things sometimes that you turn a blind eye because there's a lot going on as a head coach. You have so many parts moving. And so you trust the people that you put in leadership to be positive influences on these young guys. So I, I definitely can see him probably taking some onus in that. And then hopefully with these new programs that he's created, have that shift going forward. Guys can be more transparent about what's going on with them. Exactly. And I think that was the biggest thing is people didn't feel like they could communicate this to Kirk. And so um, now he is, he's willing to listen. He admitted, you know, sometimes, um, you know, he's the teacher, but he's like, sometimes you need to be the student and I need to be the student and learn and listen to all of my players and try to understand what they're seeing and how they're seeing it. I think me being a white guy from Iowa, like there is a lot of growth that needs to happen. Um, and it takes listening. Like, you know, as, as for me, I shouldn't be talking. I should be listening to understand kind of what, what is going on and how they are perceiving things because just how I see things is not the way everyone else is. And I think that's what Kirk is learning as well. So uh, I think it's okay if you're, you're willing to admit that you messed up and you're starting to make it better. And if the, if the fact that he messed up was not um, intentional, right. He was, he was just didn't understand. And so like I said, I do think he's a great guy to, to get the program in the right direction. Um, and I think he's making those changes. And the biggest thing to me was that he was willing to listen and start making those changes immediately. And you could tell during his pre press conferences, just how remorseful he felt um, after hearing about how his players felt like they were being treated in the program. I mean, he truly cares about each of these individuals as people. So um, that was, I think that spoke a lot to me. No doubt. And, you know, we're talking about Iowa and they're going to let's say their culture has changed and they're really starting to build. How do you get past an Ohio State and you start to become in the conversation for college football playoffs and then being the ones on top of the top 25 AP polls? Yeah, I mean, before we can get you know consider Ohio State, we got to get past Wisconsin. Yeah. I think that's been the biggest issue for Iowa is they cannot get past Wisconsin, and they usually let one other game kind of slip up. And that's actually what worries me about the, about the schedule is that game is usually Purdue. Um, Purdue or Northwestern has Iowa's number. Uh, so to me, it's it's winning the winnable games and actually closing the deal against Wisconsin. That's when you can start looking at the Ohio States um, and the Penn States, you know, the teams that are consistently in that college ball playoff discussion. As far as talent goes, Iowa's never going to have the most talent in the room. They are never going to out-talent um, Ohio State, but they can outwork Ohio State. And I think we've seen that before. The last time they played, Iowa smacked Ohio State all over the field. So the brand of football that Iowa plays does – bode well for them at least staying in those games but it's a matter of having you know one or two playmakers that can make a difference and Iowa's wide receiver group is the best wide receiver group they've had in the last 15 years um, they have some great young talent as well you know at the running back position at the tight end position um, and a, a quarterback who has three years of eligibility left so uh, the sky is you know the sky is bright the future is bright for the Iowa Hawkeyes and I think getting past Ohio State you know let's, let's get past Wisconsin first and then we'll hopefully we can get to that Ohio State discussion. 
<laughs> Absolutely. You know, I really enjoyed your interviews on Locked on Hawkeyes with the recruits. I think that's a great, or incoming people who are choosing Iowa. Why do you feel like that's a great story to tell on your podcast? Yeah, um, I personally, so part of me just loves doing it because meeting these kids and seeing their passion for, you know, being Iowa Hawkeyes and then seeing how mature and level-headed most of these kids are at the age of 17. I look back at where, where I was at 17 and I'm, I, I could not imagine handling um, some of the adversity and handling the things they're going through um, as well as they do. And so anytime I talk to these kids, it definitely gets me excited for the future of the program. So personally, that's what I love. And I think um, for the show, I think, you know, people want to hear from these recruits the you know there's for example deuce hogan was uh the quarterback commit in last year's class a four-star quarterback out of texas fans loved that he was on twitter and he was you know talking on twitter he was giving you know his personality out there and so when i can provide those interviews for the fans i think they can really appreciate that because now they can start putting a story to a name they can start understanding why these players chose iowa not just oh hey arlen bruce the fourth is a three-star recruit out of kansas that's all they know about him like that's that's these kids are not just numbers like they actually they have stories and they have really incredible stories and they have great opinions and great insight um, and i think that's why i want to be able to share that with everyone no doubt. It's great to show the human side of these guys, which is really important, especially as we're transitioning with the whole student athletes and giving them voices. So that's so great. Can you remind folks of where they can listen to Lock on Hawkeyes um, and where they can follow you and your work? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can just search Locked on Hawkeyes wherever you get podcasts at, wherever you're listening to this podcast to search Locked on Hawkeyes. You can find us on Twitter at Locked on Iowa and also on Instagram as well at Locked on Iowa. And you can find me at Wade underscore Andrew, but I mostly recommend you follow the Locked on Iowa account. That's where I'm mostly active at. <laughs> Wonderful. You know what? Congrats to y'all for getting the season going. I hope it's a full, healthy, all eight weeks you're playing. And I look forward to, you know, maybe we're talking locked on Tar Heels. Who knows? Tar Heels and Iowa could see each other down. We'll, we'll never know. We're going to keep it all in the universe that we just have healthy seasons throughout. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to basketball season, though. Hopefully uh, <laughs> Iowa can get one on UNC. No doubt. Thank you again, Andrew. Appreciate Andrew Wade and Josh Ward for coming on the show today, talking to us about SEC, talking to us about the Big Ten, and just overall how the college football landscape is looking these days. With the Big Ten coming into play soon and the SEC starting their season, what will the top 25 look like? Do y'all think it's fair for these late coming teams to be ranked? Should there even be rankings this year, given all the up and down events and uh, the availability or lack thereof for a lot of these teams? Literally week in and week out, you may not know who is on the depth chart there's so many things going on around us outside of sports we're glad to have it back certainly but maybe just let this be a grace year the NCAA hell is giving kids a whole year of eligibility whether or not they play one game or whether or not they play 11 games so I think it should have just been no top eight top 25 AP polls and we should just keep rolling just enjoy it for how long we ever we can have it as I said on top of the show, though, you got to hold on to your hats because you just don't know what's going down. That's all I have for you today, folks. Be sure to download and subscribe to Locked on College Football from anywhere you listen to your podcast. Be smart, stay safe, and have a great week.